You should always trust your gut, whether it's your own situation or you can feel it for somebody else. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host. And today we're going to talk about the case of Craig Johnson and April Smith. While I drink my daiquiri, but it's, it's actually made with wine, so I don't know what you would call that. In Kansas, 1993, April Michelle Brungart was working at a local truck stop as a cashier. She was funny and outgoing, which was a good thing because she was working in a very small store. It was one of those that the people were pretty much just running in to grab something small and running back out. It wasn't like one of those big loves or something to that nature. She met a truck driver named Edward Smith. He was instantly attracted to her. And even though he was 15 years older and she was already in another relationship, he convinced her to leave her current boyfriend and to start a new relationship with him. He was a one-time divorced father of three. So it was an instant family for her. Part of that was exciting because she always did want kids. So she loved children. She didn't have a problem with that at all. Within four months, she moved in with him and she also got her CDL license. That way she would be able to go and travel with him. She was really excited about that. They would be able to spend all their time together and kind of go see the world. By April 1993, they were already engaged and she was so excited. But the night of her bachelorette party, I guess she had that typical freak out moment. Like, what the hell am I doing? Should I be doing this? And, you know, her friend asked her, you know, is he good to you? Do you love him? If you can say yes to both of those, then you should marry him. But she did have legit concern. There was an 11-year age difference. So she didn't want to miss out on the things that she could be doing when, you know, 24. He's almost 40. He's already has three kids. Was she selling herself short? She decided that she did love him and she wanted to marry him. They ended up moving to Sydney, Nebraska. Sydney was a much smaller town. It actually only had 6,000 people, to be exact. This definitely was not her dream place to live. She hated it. So Ed was given another new job opportunity that would take them this time to Las Vegas. Talking about uh, quite the difference, huh? There she was happier, but she was still lonely. Edward was gone all the time. He was always on the road. Anytime he came home, it was for short periods of time, and half the time he was exhausted. She really wanted to fill the void by adding another child, you know, one of their own. After years of them trying and not succeeding, they decided to go to the clinic to start looking into IVF treatments. Those are very costly, so they really needed to watch their money so they could start to save up to be able to afford them. She got a job at a rehab clinic, which catered to alcoholics and drug users. It kind of reminded her of the truck stop since it was a lot of repeat patients and she would receive a lot of attention from the people who went there, kind of like what happened when she was at the truck stop. Everybody just loved her. In 2002, Ed was home for a few days and was out running errands. When he came back, he had a new car. She was like, what the hell do we need this for? And he's like, oh, no, you know, it's not for me. It's for my daughter. And she's, you know, she's a little pissed, which I mean, rightfully so. We're supposed to be saving money for us to have a baby. But I mean, at the same time, it's also his daughter. She needed a car. You know, I'm not sure if it was meant to be a clear sign, but I feel like his actions showed that 
He wasn't really down to have any more children. His kids were getting older. He didn't want to start all over again. As time went on, she started meeting people and making friends. One new friend was Barry. Barry was the brother of an outpatient to the clinic. She invited him over one night so she could make him dinner. She loved to cook, and she was actually a really good cook, so everybody loved to eat her food as well. She was excited that she got to cook. There was nobody ever for her to cook for, and she really enjoyed doing it. While they spent the night at the house, they seemed to really hit it off so much that one thing led to another, and they started making out on the couch. To their surprise, Edward came home unexpectedly and caught them in the act. But instead of getting mad, yelling, causing a scene... Anything like that? He politely asked Barry to give them a minute so he could talk to his wife. This man looked at his wife and said, I get it. You know, you're you're lonely and maybe he doesn't have to leave. Maybe he can stay here. And it was decision for the man to move into the house to keep his wife happy while he was on the road. How many of y'all are shaking your head right now? <laughs> <laughs> like what even barry was just fucking confused he's like uh is this like a trap <laughs> it's a trap but like he was expecting a brawl but instead he invited him to stay they even kid around that they were husband one and husband two i wonder if they had shirts made trio had been doing their thing for a couple years now. And in 2007, April got an opportunity that she just couldn't turn down. She was offered to take over the restaurant that used to be over the truck stop in Sydney called The Sip. This was her dream. She was so excited and she called her sister Viola Bennett so she could be the cook and they could finally do what they talked about as kids, which is working together, running a place. It was a dream come true on both of their ends, actually. Ed was totally down. He said, you know what? I want you to be happy. I think you would be good at it. Let's go. Barry told her that once she got settled, that he would follow. But he never did. And she was just absolutely devastated. She really loved Barry. After they had moved back to Sydney, one day April was in very serious pain. So much that she had to go to the hospital. And she was diagnosed with kidney stones, diabetes, and endometriosis. Not long after that, she was told she had uterine cancer. She was told by the doctors that she would have to have a full hysterectomy. She was completely broken. Her dreams of becoming a mother were now final. There's, there is no coming back. There is no chance. There is no miracle. After this blow, she decided that she was done with Ed. They had both destroyed their marriage on their own end, you know, by him never being there. By her infidelity and she just felt like it couldn't be fixed some things there is just no coming back from she decided she was going to buy her own house and she was going to start over she still wanted to remain friends with ed though because i mean first of all they're still married second of all she did love him she's just she's not in love with him anymore she wants to be happy she wants to do things with people and have normal relationships I don't think it's that much to ask for. As she gets into her new flow at the restaurant, she sees a lot of the regulars that she had seen while she was working at the truck stop. One customer in particular made her feel right at home, Craig Johnson. He was very interested, and since he resembled Barry a little bit, she was all in. Ed was still around, though. Like, anytime he was in town and didn't really have anything to eat, she would bring him over. She'd make him lunch to go, or she just always made sure that he had food to eat. And he just loved seeing her. He still was so much in love with her. 
and he really hoped that one day she might change her mind and give it another try for them. After some time, they actually did start to think about rekindling. She was still dating Craig at the time, but he was starting to get very controlling, and she wasn't exactly happy anymore. She invited Edward to come and spend Thanksgiving with her and Craig. Craig seemed a little uptight that night, and he snapped at Ed for telling April that he would help with her car. Craig had been asked numerous times to help fix something was wrong with her car, and he wasn't doing it. So, and she knew at this point, if you haven't done it yet, you do not have any plans on doing it. So, you better let this man fix my car. One Saturday, her nephew and his girlfriend went over so they could play games, hang out, maybe have a couple beers. And Craig, again, was just very uptight. They could feel tense in the air. They could, they could just feel it. They said that they were very uncomfortable when they were leaving so much that they even asked her, like, do you want to come with us? Come stay with us for the night. They could just feel something wasn't right. But she told them, no, 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 I'm fine. You guys, I promise. And um, she said, I'll call you tomorrow. The next day, he hadn't heard from her. And he decided that, you know what, I'm going to call her. I just want to make sure that everything was okay. But she doesn't answer. After a few hours of no contact, him and his girlfriend just decided they were going to go head over to her house. They needed to make sure everything was okay. When they pulled up and kind of getting out of the car, just from even sitting outside, they could tell something was off. Her blinds were closed and her house was all locked up. Now, that might seem normal to you and me, but I guess for April, it was very out of the ordinary and very alarming. But it wasn't until she was a no-show at work when the police were called. They told the police that she was a diabetic. So when they got into her house, they needed to check the refrigerator. If her insulin was in there, something is very wrong. That would pretty much be the telltale sign if she was okay. They went around the neighborhood asking people if they knew anything or if they even knew them who lived there. And they were notified that they heard a dispute the night before coming from April's home. Once the officers broke into the home, they realized that it was not necessary. April was found dead on the floor. It was a bloody mess. It was very clear that this was a prolonged killing. They were able to follow trails from every room in her home. Every room. When they felt her, she was cool to the touch, and they also noted that she was bound on her hands, her feet, and her neck. She had numerous defense wounds and ligature marks, but what killed her was the stab to her abdomen. This poor woman was beaten, strangled, suffocated with a bag over her head, stabbed, and had blunt trauma to her head. She fought for her life. It appeared that he had just been following her around the house taken jabs at her while she was trying to get away from him. Craig was nowhere to be seen. He wasn't at the house when police arrived, and they did notice that her van was missing. So they did put out a bolo on her van. Craig Anthony Johnson, 46 at the time, he was pulled over actually in Michigan. They ran the plates on the van and realized that they were stolen. He was pulled over by Sheriff's Deputy Ryan Speedle on eastbound I-94 near Clear Lake Road at about 4.30 a.m. They said that he had sped away when he approached the 2006 Chevy Uplander, leading deputies on a chase on eastbound and westbound lanes, according to a statement from the sheriff. 
He was going at very high rates of speed and in heavy rain. When Craig tried to exit at Clear Lake Road, he tried to ram the cop head on and then re-entered the highway westbound. Johnson was finally slowed and pulled over after troopers deployed the stop sticks. On westbound I-94, he was arrested without further resistance. So, some time. They did notice that there was blood in the van, and they looked at him, and that's when he told them, oh yeah, by the way, I'm also wanted for a murder back in Nebraska. The vehicle was determined to have been the stolen van out of Nebraska that belonged to April. But nobody really knows why he was headed to Michigan. What was in Michigan? Nobody knows how far he was trying to go. He pled not guilty and said that he came home and found her that way. But he left because he was scared. He was just a black man with a dead white woman. On December 16th, 2013, he was found guilty and sentenced to life. He was stone cold. He never showed any remorse, any emotion, nothing. He also never admitted to the crime. He said, nope, I didn't do it. Um, you had her car and her blood. Pretty sure you did. Well, I have some very exciting news. I have two Patreons that I need to shout out. So a big shout out to Scott Maisie and Angela Mossbeller. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate the love and support. If you want to become a Patreon, don't forget to head over to the Crime Over Cocktails official website and head to the Patreon page. You can even listen to the episodes while you're over there. Check out the merch. All the ways to listen is Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I want to thank you guys again for listening. I really appreciate the love and support. You guys have no idea. Can't do it without you guys. And we will talk crime another time. Bye.